Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called More Nevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. Okay, hi everyone. Uh, this is Danielle Karapkin speaking to you from Thornhill, Ontario. We are studying uh, Morena Vuchim, Maimonides' Guide for the Perplexed. Uh, wishing you all a belated Shana Tova. Thank you. Um, and uh, we took a long recess uh, from, I guess, a little bit uh, during the high holiday season until after Sukkot and uh, the beginning of the month of Mar Cheshvan. We are now resuming our studies. We are well into, well past the halfway mark of the Moren Abuchim. We are in section two. We are going to be starting chapter 34 today. Um, chapter 34 is a relatively short chapter, um, but there's a lot for us to see off-road. And the first thing we certainly want to do is to get our bearings because it's been so long since uh, we started, uh, since we did our last chapter, chapter 33. Um, chapter 33 actually turned out to be a very important um, foundational chapter because the Rambam went into a discussion of what actually happened at Ma'amad Har Sinai, at the events at Mount Sinai, when the Torah describes the Jews gathered around the mountain and hearing the word of God. Um, according to the Rambam, and this is his whole general thesis of what prophecy is, prophecy uh, for the philosopher, for the Aristotelian philosopher, is the intellectual conjoining with um, a higher sphere of intellect that allows a person to become close to God and attain divine knowledge. Um, because it is an intellectual endeavor, it requires um, from the individual uh, a certain number of prerequisites in order to achieve this prophetic experience. The individual has to be born with certain inborn talents to become uh, intellectually perfect, to become truly wise and intellectually attuned to divine communication. But more than that, even a person who's born with those, uh, with those natural abilities has to spend a significant amount of effort and time in order to prime themselves to be able to receive this kind of divine communication. And therefore, uh, because of the Rambam understands prophecy in this way, that this is not something that is just granted to any Tom, Dick, or Harry, but requires a tremendous amount of effort on behalf of the individual who is going to achieve prophecy. Um, it is certainly strange for the Rambam that the Jewish people gathered all around the mountain, hundreds of thousands of people, and were able to all hear a prophetic thundering of God's words. How could the masses achieve prophecy when prophecy can only be achieved by those rare individuals who work on themselves and have intellectual um, attuning uh, or, um, I guess, priming that will allow them to hear the word of God? 
This caused the Rambam to conclude that the revelation of Mount Sinai was a, a sui generis experience, a one-of-a-kind kind of experience that, would, that had never taken place before, nor would ever pl take place in the future. But also, more importantly, the Rambam is of the opinion, and this is all from chapter 33, that the Jewish people did not actually hear words coming from God. They heard a wordless voice of God. They understood that they were in God's presence and they heard some kind of thundering, very, very impactful, experiential um, understanding of being in God's presence, that God was making himself known to them in some wordless way because they did not have the ability for prophecy because they had just left Egypt as slaves that no one had worked on themselves to be able to achieve this prophetic experience other than Moshe Rabbeinu, other than Moses, and perhaps some of the higher echelons of Jewish, the, the Jewish community at the time. And if that's the case, then this sort of certainly completely changes our conception of what occurred at Mount Sinai. And that was all discussed uh, extensively when we studied chapter 33 together. Now, chap this brings us now to chapter 34. We are continuing the conversation of prophecy. What is prophecy and how we understand the prophetic experience? Now, the reason why this is so important for the Rambam to explain prophecy is because the Rambam, remember, is a philosopher and he's explaining the ideas that are found in the Torah through a philosophical lens. The ultimate goal of the philosopher is to have the most perfected intellect that is humanly possible. When one achieves intellectual perfection, one achieves prophecy. And that is the reason why this is in the Morin of Uchim in the first place, and it is why it is such a central role, or occupies such a central role for the Rambam in his discussion. Now, let's understand, therefore, that continuing this discussion, that Maimed Har Sinai, the events at Mount Sinai, were a sui generis experience, that the Jewish people could not expect to maintain, nor could they hope to um, experience something like that in the future where they hear a voice from God, even a wordless voice. The purpose of chapter 34 is now to tell us what the word malach, the word angel, means in the context of divine communication. I want to, therefore, look at the very last sentence of this chapter, to uh, make sure that we understand what the theme of this chapter is. I'm going to share my screen with you. It just has some of the notes that we always try to provide as an outline when, when we study Morin of Uchim. Um, uh, you can find this handout if you'd like to download it. You can find it very easily in two places. One is in the Facebook community called Shi'ur in Morin of Uchim, and I encourage you to join that Facebook group. It doesn't cost you anything, um, and we won't bother you. And uh, the other place that you can find it is in webyeshiva.org, where uh, in the section of where there is a course description for this course, you can download the PDF there as well. So the final sentence of this chapter, and I'm just using a slightly different text from the way that the Shlomo Pines edition has it, but uh, chapter 34 in the Pines edition is on page 366 and 367. And the sentence reads as follows. This explains, and what I've just told you, which we'll get to in just a minute, explains the foundational concept that I will continue to explain, namely that every prophet except for Moshe Rabbeinu, for Moses, only achieved his vision via an angel, 
understand this. And when you first read that sentence without any context, without knowing anything else about the Rambam, it sounds like the Rambam is telling us that anytime a person has a prophetic experience, it is via an angel. Now it's also, I mean, there, there's a certain curiosity here because remember the Rambam uh, is living in an Islamic world where uh, the, um, the, the prophet of the Islamic faith, uh, Muhammad, uh, professed to have achieved all of his prophetic communication about the text of the Quran from the angel Gabriel. One might be tempted to think that the Rambam is influenced by this kind of Islamic milieu and therefore wants to make a point of saying that. But I don't believe that that would be an accurate depiction of what the Rambam's motivations for saying this are, because it doesn't fit in with the rest of Morinavuchim. And in order to appreciate what's going on over here, we need to go back to chapter six of section two, where the Rambam had carefully defined for us what the word malach means, what the word angel means. An angel for the Rambam is not a being of six wings who you see with a trumpet coming out of its mouth with a cherubic face flitting over mankind and flying over and, and giving a communication. The word malach, and this is 100 pages ago in, in the Pines edition, so uh, it's worth your while if you haven't looked at it in a while to go back and review it. Uh, and also uh, maybe to listen, we had a two-part uh, lecture on uh, chapter six and section two. So we pointed out that the Rambam in one place over there says, what is a malach? A malach is any uh, intermediary force which God employs to bring about his will into our reality. And remember, for the Rambam's Aristotelian, Neoplatonist, perhaps, model of, the, of his conception, God is a transcendent God. God is extremely elevated and exalted above anything having to do with our world. And therefore, when Hashem wishes to have his will propagated in our world, it must perforce be done via intermediary forces. God does not insert himself directly into our, um, our corporeal existence, our physical existence, but rather employs agents. And a, the word malach simply means any entity, any created entity that God utilizes to, uh, to uh, 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 cause his will to be done in our realm of existence. And therefore, he had a whole list. Um, the intellects of the heavenly spheres are called malachim, are called angels. That which physically moves living creatures, if a living creature is impelled to move, to move its arm, the force that causes me to move my arm is called an angel. The elements themselves that God uses to create, to give rise to every physical object that exists in our world, those are called angels. And, and if you remember from chapter six, the Rambam had brought psukim, had brought verses to support all of these contentions. Uh, a human messenger, whether prophet or just simply an emissary of God, is called a malach, right? By Yishlach Yaakov Malachim, that Yaakov sent angels to Esav. According to the Rambam, these were just human beings that Yaakov sent to, to Esav to inquire of his welfare. A prophet can be a malach because he is an emissary of God. And what is important to understand here for our purposes in chapter 34 
is that the Rambam specifically says in chapter six that separate intellects that implant visions within imaginary visions within a prophecy that is also called a malach. So when we say that when the Rambam suggests that God causes prophecy to befall an individual via an angel, it means simply that God is sending visions into the mind of the prophet in order to communicate divine will, because the vision itself is uh, sort of a sent intellectual packet of data in the form of a vision. I just was listening to a lecture yesterday. Do you think in words or do you think in pictures? And essentially, a, pro a prophecy for a regular prophet, it, you know, when I say regular, I mean in contradistinction to, to Moses, a regular prophet's prophecy is a vision. That vision is implanted in one's brain, in one's mind, uh, through Hashem. That, uh, and that, the way that Hashem dispatches that vision is through a, a, an intellectual force that gets implanted into the mind of the prophet. And finally, the Rambam had said that animalistic forces within living creatures, as in the story of Yehuda Vitamar, that Yehuda was overtaken by some kind of urge that, that urge itself is defined as a malach in rabbinic literature as well, that an angel compelled Yehuda to consort with Tamar. So I, we're not going to go into the into any great extent into chapter 6. We refer you back there. But once you understand that the Rambam has a very broad definition of the word angel, not in the way that we think of an angel, but any kind of intermediary force or entity, that God employs to propagate his will in our realm of existence, it's not so outlandish to suggest that man achieves prophecy through angels. In essence, malach means an intermediary force by which Hashem propagates his will to our reality. And just as a direct quote from that chapter, for every force charged by God may he be exalted with some business is an angel put in charge of that thing. And to review, just to reiterate, because it's right here in the handout, prophecy is a product of intellectual development. B'nai Yisrael only heard a voice, a wordless voice at Mount Sinai, but it was a prophetic experience nonetheless. That's chapter 33. But future prophecy was reserved for a select few who were privy to the angel of prophecy. Thus, all references to angels in scripture appearing to the masses must perforce not refer to actual prophecy, but to the angel of prophecy that appears to the individual prophet who conveys to the people the will of God. Now, this is therefore the topic of chapter 34. Once the Rambam has finished telling us that what happened at Mayamad Har Sinai was a unique experience, he then has to tell us that the follow-up text in the Torah that describes that God is going to send an angel in front of them means that God will send them a human leader who will be imbued with the angel of prophecy. So let's take a look at the text regarding the text that is in the Torah. This is on page 366 in the Pines edition. Namely, his saying, Behold, I will send an angel before you, and so on. Hine uh, anochi. This is in Parshat Mishpatim, Exodus chapter 23, shortly after the giving of the Ten Commandments. God says, I'm going to send a malach before you, to protect you on the road, and to bring you to the place that I have designated for you, namely 
as we will discover, the land of Israel. The next verse says, Be careful from that angel, meaning, according to the Rambam, the human being who has the voice of prophecy from an angel, listen to his voice, the prophet's voice, do not rebel against him, because he will not bear your sins, you know, as he will not tolerate rebellion, because my name is within him. He is the, the man of God. He is, he is representative of God in your midst. Next verse. If you do listen to him, and you do everything that I say via the prophet, then I will combat all of your enemies and I will besiege all those of your enemies. Because my angel will go in front of you, will travel in front of you, and will bring you to the land of the Emery, the Chiti, the Prizi, the Knani, the Chivi, the Yevusi, and I will fell them. I will, I will conquer them. Okay, so that is the conveyance of the text. The meaning of the text, says the Rambam, is the one explained in Deuteronomy, namely that God said to Moshe at the gathering at Mount Sinai, I will raise them up a prophet. Okay, and what is the Rambam referring to? This is in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Parshat Shoftim, that the, the verse starts in verse 14 by saying that these other nations that you're going to dispossess them of their land, they, uh, um, they try to seek out magicians and sorcerers, but that's not how I want you to access the word of God. Instead, verse 15, Navi mikir becha me'achecha kamoni, that um, uh, God will establish for you a prophet from your midst that will be just like me. A love tishma'un. That's the person to whom you shall listen. And this is in accord with what you yourselves asked of God in Chorev when you all gathered around Mount, Mount Sinai, that I can no longer hear the word of God en masse, and I don't want to see this great, uh, uh, um, very, very scary and frightening fire, lest I die. And therefore, God says, The Jews are correct. They can only have that face-to-face -face encounter with God on a one-time basis. And therefore, I will therefore establish for them a prophet. And I will place my words in his mouth. And I will tell him everything that I command him. Uh, or he will say to the people everything that I command to the prophet. And then it says, If a person alleges to be a prophet of God uh, and represents himself as saying God's word when he does not, God says, I will seek out vengeance from that individual. What you see from here, the Rambam is essentially telling you that these two sections of biblical text complement each other, that the, the, the section in Deuteronomy is explaining the, the section in Exodus. When it says in Exodus that God says, I will send an angel before you, it's referring to the prophet, the prophet that God will appoint uh, in Moshe's stead, first Joshua, and then a series of other prophets who will lead the people. Now, there is no doubt that this injunction is addressed only to the multitude, uh, because an angel 
does not manifest himself to the multitude and does not give them orders and prohibitions. Consequently, they could not be ordered not to disobey an angel. If the Torah says do not rebel uh, or disobey the angel, it doesn't mean that the Jews will have direct access to the angel, but it means they will have access to the prophet who has the angel of prophecy communicating with them. Accordingly, the meaning of this dictum is that he may be exalted, gave them knowledge that there would be a prophet among them to whom an angel would come and would speak to him and give him orders and prohibitions. Thus, God forbade us to disobey that angel whose words the prophet would transmit to us. It makes that clear in Devarim saying, unto him ye shall hearken. And it also says, and it shall come to pass that whoever shall not hearken unto my words and he shall speak in my name and so on. This being the explanation of the dictum for my name is in him. All this merely taught them this, this great gathering that you saw, I mean the gathering at Mount Sinai will not be a thing subsisting permanently within you. You cannot sustain a, uh, a continued uh, communication with God in the way that you had that communication from God at Mount Sinai. And in the future, there will not be anything like it. And there will not permanently be fire in a cloud such as those that are now always on the tabernacle. The Rambam is also pointing out that part and parcel of this communication is that you cannot expect constant miracles manifesting God's presence to be with you always. Instead, God will be sending you a prophet. The prophet will represent God in your midst because, because he is being communicated by an angel of God, by that intermediary force, that vision. However, an angel whom I shall send to your prophets will conquer the country for you, will smooth out the land before you, and will let you know what you should do. He will let you know what you should approach and what you ought to avoid. And then the Rambam says the final sentence, that through this very short uh, chapter, I have presented to you my thesis that prophets other than Moshe, and Moshe is, again, a unique exception to the rule, because the Torah says that Moshe communicated with God panim bifanim, face to face, and we'll, the Rambam is going to devote a special section in the future discussions of prophecy to Moshe Rabbeinu, we're going to get to that shortly, but every other prophet uh, receives divine communication through a vision which is known as the angel. Now, um, this might seem to be uh, beating a dead horse. Okay, the, your major point, Rambam, what's the relevance of this? Well, one of the things we have to remember is because the Rambam understands God as being a, a very transcendent God, not imminent, not, not directly accessible, uh, the Rambam wants to point out that intellectual perfection will achieve prophecy for you, but it will not cause you to be directly in contact with God, but will only receive this intermediary force that gives you that prophetic experience, the ultimate intellectual experience for a human being. So that's really the goal of that the Rambam has is to explain prophecy from a philosophical point of view while maintaining the idea of God's transcendence. What I do want to point out is, and it's ironic because this Shabbat, it so turns out we're going to be reading Parshat Vayera, the story of Avraham that opens with him sitting by the entrance of his tent after his Brit Milah, after his circumcision. And there is a very important commentary of the Ramban on this passage. Now, I do want to point out that we will be uh, referring back to this commentary of the Ramban because he makes reference uh, of the next few chapters of Mareh Nevuchim, 
um, where the Rambam, and he had, Rambam had alluded to this in chapter six as well, but he's going to be coming back to this in our discussion of prophecy, that for the Rambam, whenever the Torah describes an encounter with angels uh, in, the, in the Torah, it is through a prophetic vision. These, the, the encounter with angels did not actually occur in the real world. Um, and uh, uh, many of the miraculous depictions of the Torah, according to the Rambam, were in it were occurred in a dream and did not were not real, such that if a person were to set up a video camera, he would be able to to record to record actual events. And for the Rambam, the angels who are described at the beginning of our parsha, who came to visit Avraham, this was all part of a vision. Avraham was having a prophetic knowledge, uh, prophetic experience. So when it says love Hashem Mamre that God appeared to Avraham in the plains of Mamre, this is what our portion opens up with. What was that um, appearance of God before Avraham? It was a vision of three men coming to visit him. But there were never three men that actually came to visit him. This is a revolutionary and sort of a certainly a controversial uh, interpretation of the text. And the Ramban takes very strong issue with the Rambam's interpretation. The Ramban is of the opinion that the events actually took place because, I mean, after all, in this story, Avraham is not only communicating with angels, but he speaks to Sarah. He tells her, Lushi va'asi ugot, go ahead and prepare bread. He himself goes and slaughters a calf. Are you telling me that none of these things actually happened? For the Rambam, they didn't happen in the real world. But for the Ramban, they actually did happen. This necessitates for the Rambam a further discussion as to what is meant by the word um, malachim, what is meant by the word angels, and what, and what kind of interface did Avram have with the angels? that are described in the opening of our portion, and also uh, what is the nature of prophecy? Uh, is, it, is it true that the way the Rambam says that prophecy can only come to an individual via an angel, or is that, uh, is that something that he has a problem with? So we're, got, we're coming into the middle of the, Ramba, the Ramban's commentary, and we'll start it, and we'll see how far we can get into it. He says, Uve emet. I concede to Maimonides, says Nachmanides, I concede to the Rambam that whenever scripture talks about seeing an angel, I concede that that is in a vision. Meaning, now this is, so what does the Rambam mean? He just said that the Rambam can't be true. He says, Ki haher geshim lo yasigu hamalachim he says, when you when you encounter an angel, when if there were a video camera uh, filming Avraham's encounter with these three angels who came to visit him, according to the Ramban, they would be invisible. They would not be capturable on film, but but Avraham saw them because angels do not manifest um, ontologically in a three dimensional world. They are the Avraham saw three people in front of him, but the the vision of those angels were in his mind. But everything else that he was doing was in the actual world. But then the Ramban wants to make a point of telling you that this was not a prophetic experience. Angels can appear 
before a human being who is not a prophet. And the, uh, the vision of angels has nothing to do with prophecy. And this is the major point that he wants to take issue with the, with the Rambam, with Maimonides. The Rambam says that the very definition of the prophetic experience is being visited by an angel who communicates God's ideas and implants them in your mind. But for the Ramban, having a vision of an angel is not a prophetic experience, and he's going to cite examples of where non-prophets had visions of angels. And I'm sure you can start to think in your own mind where he's going with this. She'ein hadavar kemo she'harav gozer and in Hilchot Yisodei HaTorah, you have it in your handout, that the Rambam also makes this point of saying in his Mishneh Torah, Kol Hanavim al Yedei Malach, every prophet receives his prophecy via an angel. And that's a divine communication. Uh, he says, Ki Kol Navi Zulat Moshe Rabbeinu Nuvuat al Yedei Malach. Quoting the Rambam, he says, Maimonides is of the belief that every prophet other than Moses receives prophecy via an angel. But our sages say explicitly in Tractate Megillah, page 3, that the, the, the man Daniel, Daniel, was not a prophet. And that's partic and in, in, in particular, that's the reason why the book of Daniel is not in the Nevi'im, it's not in the prophets section of Tanakh, but it's in the Ketuvim section of Tanakh because it was not written uh, through prophecy, but was rather written through a divine revelation that was via an angel. The Ramban says that the angel Gabriel appeared to Daniel and gave him visions of divine knowledge. Even though when Daniel received these messages from the angel Gabriel, he was wide awake. And I'm not going to, I'm going to have to skip only because, uh, because we're a little bit uh, constrained uh, for time. He says, Now it's true that Moses' prophecy was different from all other prophets, but not in the way that the Rambam defines it, that Moses was not via an angel and all other prophets were via an angel, but rather the way that our rabbis explain it, um, what is the difference between Moses and all the other prophets? that Moses' prophecy was like seeing a vision through a clear lens. Uh, that was all of it. That was Moshe's prophecy, whereas all other prophets were able to have a divine vision, a vision of God's will, but almost like through a murky lens. Never do we see that our sages suggest that other angel, that other prophets prophesied through an angel, whereas Moshe prophesied through not an angel. We, the Rambam is the only person to suggest this, and therefore this strengthens this the 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 the, the, the kasha, the problem that the Ramban has with the Rambam, which is where do you get this from? Where on what basis do you make this very strong assertion? 
Uchvar Amur Rabotenu, Bi'inyan Bil'am Shemar Ve'ata Imra Be'enecha Ashuvali, that our sages also comment on this interesting story in Parshat Balak, where Bilam is communicating with God. God first tells him, don't go with them. Then Bilam communicates with God again, and God says, if you want to go, you may go, but you may only say the words that I shall tell you. So Bilam was basically saying, you originally told me that I could go with them. And now, and now you're telling me that I should go back. God, you do this all the time. Uh, you originally told Abraham to slaughter his son, and then you re retracted and you sent an angel to tell him to stop. Vayomer altishlach yad quoting the verse. And the Medrash actually points out that there are two types of divine communication, one by God directly, which is called a prophecy, and one by an angel, which is sub-prophetic, less than prophecy. So you see very clearly from this Midrash that divine communication on a prophetic level is higher and the secondary communication, which is via an angel, is sub-prophetic. Sometimes God will give a divine communication through an, a, a bona fide prophecy and then will rescind that prophecy via an angel something less than prophecy, but nonetheless notifying the prophet that it is the word of God. That is what happened at the Akedah, that is what happened, that is alluded to what happened in the story of Bilam, but that's again another example of where you see that angels are not communicating prophetic knowledge, but rather are giving God's will in a less than prophetic way. Next he says, it says that God called out to Moses at the beginning of the book of Leviticus. Um, it says that God called out to Moshe, unlike Abraham, where, where it says, that Avraham was unlearned in the ways of prophecy, and therefore he had to get used to, or sort of like go through an initiation process of having prophecy where he was first communicated to by an angel, and then only later did he ascend to the level of prophecy. Again, another example says the Ramban that angelic communication is not prophecy, it's the step leading up to prophecy or something just less than prophecy. We see very clearly from here from the words of our sages that having a vision of an angel is not a prophecy. Nor when a person sees an angel, like in the story, he, he also cites the story of, of um, Hagar in last week's Parsha, where Hagar meets an angel out in the desert. Hagar was not a prophetess, uh, yet she was still able to have a vision of an angel. Daniel was not a prophet but he had the ability to be communicated to by an angel. It is a vision. 
tikarei gilui enayim. You can call it a, a an opening of the eyes, an eye-opening vision, but it's not a prophecy. And that's the whole mahalach. That's the whole uh, trajectory of the Ramban's commentary. Now, just to conclude with this thought, and I really do want to develop this idea in the ensuing chapters, where we're going to see the Rambam developing this idea of divine communication of prophecy via an angel. Remember, the Rambam's definition of an angel is the implantation of, a, of, a, of an intellectual packet, of a packet of information in the form of a vision into the mind of the individual who is achieving prophecy. That, that process is what the Rambam calls a malach. The Ramban's um, um, conception of an angel is much more stylized and defined as some kind of angelic entity that you and I more think about when we think about the word malach or angel. And that could very well be the source of this contention between the Rambam and the Ramban. Is it possible that a person could have a vision of an angel without being a prophet? Of course, the Rambam would say, because I'm not talking about that kind of angel, where, which is a created, visible entity to the person who is being shown some kind of spiritual, metaphysical vision of some kind of created entity that God created at this moment to convey information. But that's very, very different from the idea of the angel, which is the vision that is implanted into the mind of a prophet that the Rambam is making reference to. They're really talking about apples and oranges because their definition of the word malach is so entirely different. And that's really what I wanted to point out is that once we understand that the Rambam has a very broad definition of the word malach, we start to realize that the questions that the Ramban challenges the Rambam with begin to fall away. We're going to leave it here for today. We'll continue this subject as we get into chapter 35, but I thought that this was an interesting exercise for us to see this, and I hope that we'll be able to continue in the ensuing weeks. Let me wish you a, a great rest of the week, and we'll see you Bezrat Hashem next time. Take care.